Welcome back to the 175th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today we're going to be flipping through two stories. It's going to be a bit abbreviated. We're going to be talking about RFK Jr. and his possible spoiler effect, what it's going to be like leading up to getting on the ballot, and then one of his biggest enemies in Big Pharma and how they are actually overcharging for a COVID treatment drug. And, of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. But that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So give me your opinion on RFK. That, that's pretty much it. Do you think he's going to take from Republicans, Democrats? I've heard lots of different opinions. A few people that I've been talking to say that he's probably going to take more from Republicans. I honestly think he's going to take more from moderate Democrats because the Republican base, or at least the core contingency of voters that would vote for Trump, are pretty darn loyal, so I don't see them flipping on him. Maybe a few of the moderates, but even then, I think some of them might be not okay with some of his more skeptical or out-there ideas. So let me know what you think. Throw it down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what everybody has to say. So our first article comes from Politico. The real way RFK Jr. could spoil the 2024 election. So obviously, now that he's going for an independent ticket, People on the right have been, you know, they've been backing him for a little bit or at least liking some of his ideas because they thought it would take away from Biden. Now they've kind of flipped on him. They're like, hey, no, 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 no. He could actually take away from us. We're going to actually attack him now and make sure that there's no love for RFK Jr. in the Republican Party, which, you know, it's politics as it is. I think it's a, a little sad that they may have just been playing a political game rather than actually liking what he said. Or maybe the best way to frame it is there were some things that they didn't like about him. You know, there were certain characteristics that they decided not to highlight. And now that he's going after, or at least he's going as an independent and could therefore threaten Trump, maybe now they're willing to highlight them a little bit more. It's a cynical game, as is politics. Quote, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s independent bid for president is facing a huge hurdle, just as it is getting off the ground a grueling, expensive fight to get on the ballot in 50 states and Washington, D.C. Kennedy said he planned to spoil the election for both President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. And if the polls that show him polling as much as 14% of the general electorate hold, he certainly could be. It would and will depend on whether this campaign of his can successfully navigate the complex ballot access process. So this is something that is... Definitely, I don't want to say under, not talked about as much or, you know, not put out there as much, but getting on the ballots in all of these different states is a very, very tricky process. It took, I believe, the Green Party over 10 years or maybe even a little bit longer than that to actually get on most of these state ballots. You have no labels. It's putting been putting in a, I believe it's a two-year effort at this point in order to get onto almost every single ballot. The Libertarian Party is also trying to do the same thing. So obviously, this is, you know, if you can't get on the ballot, then you have no chance of being a spoiler. So RFK's really got to do this and do this fast, because one of the first deadlines is Utah, I believe, in December. And also, there's an extra little wrinkle here, which is he can't just say, ah, yes, I want to be on the ballot. No, no, he has to say who his vice presidential nominee or choice will be. So, yeah, I said nominee. The vice president that he'd be running with. He has to identify who they would be in Utah in order for him to actually get ballot access. 
Now, there, there's another wrinkle there, which is he could temporarily assign somebody and say, oh, this is who I'm going with, and then change his mind later. But some states don't allow that. Some states do. So it would probably be safer just to find out who your vice presidential candidate you want to be and then assign them from that point forward. But it's, uh, like I said, it's going to be a little bit crazy. Quote, but it's less clear how much preparation the campaign has done to qualify for ballots across the country. Kennedy is essentially in a race against the clock. North Carolina and Texas require independent candidates to file by mid-May, and a crash of deadlines across the country over the summer, with 29 state deadlines in August alone. Quote, we have a robust ballot access team, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s name will be on the ballot in all 50 states, Press Secretary Stephen Spear, Stephanie Spear said in a statement. The campaign declined an interview request and did not respond to a list of detailed questions. But veterans of the past third-party presidential bid say it will require more than cash. Beyond gathering signatures for nominating petitions, it takes significant expertise to navigate specific rules for every state and the requirements needed before signatures can even begin to be collected. And then to beat back against legal challenges that will most certainly follow. That, what you know, I talked about two wrinkles. You know what, we might as well make it a wrinkly mess because here's one more. You're going to have to fight back the legal challenges. You're going to have to fight back now, especially considering the RNC sees you as a threat and the DNC sees you as a threat. You're going to see so many different legal challenges trying to keep him off this ballot to make sure that the DNC, RNC can lock in their constituency and they're not going to be worried about floaters going to RFK Jr. And when they say legal cases, they're talking about, oh, well, they're going to say these certain petitions weren't actually legitimate. You know, there are some people who didn't necessarily know what they were petitioning for, or maybe there was some, you know, behind the deals, behind the scene deals going on. Even if it doesn't actually happen, just like some other past lawsuits about uh, different election integrity stuff, you know, some of the claims are suspicious. Some of them were complete BS. And if there's any complete BS on RFK's part, it's going to hold him up in the, the legal sphere and it's going to be a pain in the butt. And then you also have the activist types who may even make it harder for the people going and getting these petition signs uh, you know, door to door. They can make it harder for them. So I read in this article alone, there's one expert who said, if one person decides that, oh yeah, I, I want to really screw this up, I can pretend to sign and then I can cross out everybody on that list. And the thing is, the people that are taking the petition, they can't guarantee, they can't 100% know whether people actually cross them out because they don't want to be on it or because somebody went through and crossed them out. So it invalidates the entire slate of people that signed that petition. So there are lots of ways that this can be screwed around a little bit. And it is a little bit scary going into this upcoming hard deadline because you got to be on top of this sort of stuff. And let's be clear, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but the experts in here in the political article are outlining, yeah, this is a tight deadline, man. This is something that he's really, really going to have to worry about. And there are other barriers involved here, too. Quote, one of the biggest barriers are potential legal challenges for either major party, which are nervous that Kennedy could hurt their candidate. In multiple states, there are processes to challenge signatures after they've been submitted to election officials. Teresa Ameto, a campaign manager for Ralph Nader in 2000 and 2004, said it is incredibly, incredibly difficult period of time in 2004 because there was a full-fledged campaign to keep us off the ballot by the Democratic Party and its affiliates. 
Amato, who has written a book on ballot access. So yes, she is a uh, very, very knowledgeable person in this sphere. Uh, book on ballot access for non-major party candidates points out that every other week we would end up with a new summons challenging the candidacy in one state or another. So not only are we using legal resources in shaping or having to push them one way instead of you know fighting other lawsuits that may be coming your way or advising the future potential president in the right way, of course, even though he is a lawyer himself, so he may not need all of the legal advice, even though he was really more in environmental law, but also it takes up a lot of time, and also with all those lawyers, guess what comes with those? Lots of, lots of different, uh, how should I say it, monetary compensations that seem to be overinflated in this modern era. You know, lawyers love to cost, or they love to charge you for their time, it is their job, of course, but I feel like sometimes it could be a little bit outrageous, especially when you're talking about ones that are probably going to be specialized enough to actually deal with this. They're going to be a, a dime in a dozen, and it's going to be a very, very tricky, tricky one to navigate because imagine you're on the campaign trail. Imagine you are out there, uh, what, five, six days a, a week, maybe, sometimes if you're out there doing a heavy week, and then you also are getting briefings when you're possibly doing two events a day. You're getting briefings from your team. Oh, yeah, we just got called into this court summons. I mean, you don't have to go to this one, sir, but you may have to go to this one. It's just extra. It's an, a whole bunch of extra taxing stuff. And, you know, honestly, I'm happy that RFK Juniors are on some TRT. Otherwise, I don't know how he would get through it. I'm happy he goes to the gym. He can get his endorphins that way. Otherwise, I, I'm pretty sure this would slow down or at least piss off and really hinder almost any other candidate that's not as robust at his age. But, you know, Nader did it in the past. Uh, there's also Perot and Bloomberg who have all done this at a little bit older of an age. So maybe if you're really in the political sphere and you can really pull it together, sure, you can get away with it. But uh, I feel like that would be extremely taxing on even the most young and vivacious person. I can't imagine someone who's uh, been through a whole bunch, but maybe that has har battle-hardened RFK with all the BS that he's faced throughout the less, the rest of his life. So there's one more, art uh, one more quote that I wanted to read you from this article. Quote, and a big one. More than half of all states require presidential candidates to also declare their vice presidential pick when working to get on the ballot. It might not be difficult for Kennedy a so far well-funded candidate who polls higher than the whole GOP primary field challenging former President Donald Trump, but his campaign will need to start its own vetting process to make that crucial decision. And guess what that is? That is more time, that is more effort, that is more money stripped away from the actual idea of being out there and campaigning. So, yes, he is well-funded, there's no doubt about that, but when you're being stretched seven ways to Sunday or I believe technically the right phrase is six ways to Sunday, when you are being stretched, just like Donald Trump is being stretched right now, something's going to crack. Something is going to be less than the spectacular. So we'll see where that one comes in first. And honestly, I'm assuming in order to actually be on the ballot, he would focus on all of these sort of things first rather than a full campaigning process because if you can't actually be on the ballot, what's the point of campaigning? So maybe that will be his excuse and he can kind of step back from the being in the limelight directly for a while, but maybe not. Maybe he's got to go full throttle and he's got a great team around him that can handle all of this. I hope the best for him because, honestly, we need somebody else to step up. We need to have a large... I think, honestly, if he gets 14% of the vote, so he's pulling at 15, 14% 
of the middle of the road kind of people, the moderates. If he could actually pull at least 10% in a popular vote, which doesn't really ever happen, or 10% electorally, which also never really happens for third party. But if he could, it could start to break down this narrative. Because you know the narrative that there's Teflon Don. Ah, oh, Teflon Don is unbreakable. No matter what happens, he'll keep on rolling. There's also this idea that the two-party system is practically unbreakable. They have such a stranglehold on it. And we've had candidates in the past that have proven that wrong, but not to the same degree. And if RFK can make an even bigger dent this time, especially with the rise of popularity of the Green Party or you know the Libertarian Party, there may be a lot more struggle in the future. Because I, I talk to a lot of people on the ground here in Kentucky and a lot of younger people too, not just older people. And there are a lot of them who are act- the ones that are actually politically active, not just the ones that you know kind of know the labels and they go along with whatever side their family's gone with or just kind of holds to their beliefs. A lot of the political youth are either really progressive or super libertarian. And guess what the Green Party focuses on? A little bit more progressive stuff. Guess what the Libertarian Party focuses on? Oh, wait, yeah, it's kind of in the name, libertarianism. So there's a lot of political people who are seeing these different ideologies. And if they can be politically active and there's also a chip in the armor of the two-party system, this could very well start a change within our lifetimes. You know, us young people, we could see a a third-party possibility, a little bit more coalition-style government building like they have in some other major democracies around the world rather than just having two parties that stick on their hard lines. Because honestly, I think you could divide the Democrats right now into really like two factions but with a really small progressive faction. Uh, You could even probably say there's the economic and social Democrats. You could divide them up, but it's not as strong. But there definitely is a strong split between the more libertarian um, conservatives and the more protectionist conservatives. And you can make a very hard line between them as well. So it may actually leave room for more coalition building in the future, especially if libertarian people get into the House and make those people who espouse or talk about libertarian values well, if you talk about libertarian values, then wouldn't you vote for some bills or different legislation that would be put forth by legislators that are in the Libertarian Party? Maybe. I think we could see a huge shift here. All right, sorry. I went on a little bit of a rant towards that end, that end part there, but I really do hope that RFK Jr. can really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, show the flaws in the way the system works right now and try to chip away slowly but surely at the two-party system. Not that I think having just two parties inherently is necessarily a bad thing if you allow factions within them, but the way it's structured now, pain in the butt. And it kind of disenfranchises voters because you just got to choose one side or the other. Okay, so for shame, Pfizer to change... Wow, okay, let me actually reread that one. This one comes from Common Dreams. For shame, Pfizer to charge... $1,390 for life-saving COVID drug that costs just 13 bucks. So, yes, I told you we would be talking about RFK Jr.'s biggest enemy, which is Big Pharma. The amount of money that they've been throwing into lobbyists on the Hill is absolutely insane. And the reason that I wanted to connect it to RFK Jr. is because Guess who's been funding this drug for the last few years? Obviously, we had a COVID pandemic. We had 
a robust response from our leaderships in, uh, leadership in Washington. I mean, yeah, we, we wanted in to ensure that our people are safe, so we have been subsidizing this treatment. But now that some of that subsidization is going away and COVID is becoming uh, less deadly because people have more a stronger or more robust immune, immune response because it's been filtering through the population for a while now or just because the uh, different variants have become a little bit weaker, now they're saying, oh, well, the demand's going down. Well, if demand goes down and then the subsidy goes away, of course you're going to start to see rising prices. But I'll tell you now, for producing it for $13, which I'm sure is an underestimation or they're taking the lowest possible for Comet Dreams, not including the uh, shipment to different locations, the storage of certain medications. So let's even be nice. Let's even say that for all the costs of the drug, it's going to cost them $100 to get it to where it needs to go. $1,390 is still absolutely insane. Quote, U.S. customer watchdog public citizen on Thursday excoriated Pfizer after the pharmaceutical giant announced it would more than double the price of a life-saving COVID-19 treatment, which will soon sell for an estimated 100 times the cost of production. Pfizer said Wednesday that it will price its patented COVID treatment, and excuse my terrible pronunciation here, Nirmatralavir, Ratchinavir, uh, once again, sorry, uh, sold under the brand name Paxlovid, we will just be calling it Paxlovid from now on, at $1,390 for a five-day course. Researchers Melissa J. Barber and Ditzger Gotham recently estimated it cost Pfizer $13 to produce five days worth of the drug, which is taken in three pill doses. So that's just, uh, come on, guys, come on. That's absolutely insane. So it's also not just that, hey, we're going to direct a market. It's and they're just, you know, selling it up to those people because they're now going through insurance providers. They're charging way more than they were charging the government. And the government basically can have, un if they really wanted to, in the way that they view money, they could have unlimited money. Is that wrong? A million percent. Should they not do it? A million and 25,000, whatever percent, yes. But, you know, in theory, they could overcharge the government all they want and then cut it when it's no longer, the demand is no longer as high. You know, obviously, it goes against the theory of supply and demand, but, you know, they could overcharge the government and then bring it back down to a normal level afterwards. But no, 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 they're actually charging more after the government has stopped buying it from them when, okay, it's just insane. I'm just going to read you this quote because, honestly, I'm going to get lost on a rant about just, uh, I don't want to say it's profiteering because, you know, I like, I like the idea that the free market exists, but this feels like you're going way past free market ideas here and you're talking about a treatment that could save somebody's life so sometimes you're kind of taking advantage of that fear in order to sell something to somebody if you say that hey i know you have this uh, terrible terrible ailment and i'm the only company or one of three companies that is actually selling a uh, medication to this and you know it costs me ten dollars to produce and it will cure you but uh, for you i know your situation how about one thousand dollars and you're sitting there like, well, I don't, I don't want to pay $1,000, but I think my life is worth more than $1,000. So, of course, you're going to at least seriously consider, consider stymieing up that money. You'll probably go start a GoFundMe so you can get your treatments on time. But 
sorry, that's beyond the point. Let me get back to the quote that I was going to go to. Quote, it's also more than 2.5 times the federal government's purchase price for Paxlovid. The government has bought and distributed the antiviral drug to the public free of charge since December 2021 when the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the treatment. Starting next year, Pfizer will sell Paxlovid directly to health insurance companies. Quote, Pfizer has made tens of billions in Paxlovid sales, largely through major government purchases. May Burduk noted, Pfizer could choose now to support the fight against COVID and ease treatment access by lowering its already inflated prices, end quote. They could, but they're going to make money off of it. And you know what? Hey, if they can find buyers for that drug at that price, go right ahead. I really hope that people use their power in the market to not buy it. Honestly, you know, I hate masks. I'd rather the people be so outraged at the COVID treatment prices for this drug that they go out and spend $2 on a box of masks to help prevent them from getting COVID so they don't have to worry about taking this drug in the first place. Honestly, I would be so okay with that as a form of protest, even though I absolutely hate masks. But if it's totally your personal agency and you want to say F you to Pfizer, go right ahead. I, I always have a, a problem with the idea that, oh, because honestly, the way that they're structuring this is they're saying, hey, the government should at least address the fact that they're overcharging their customers. And yes, while I think the government could have some role to play in there, I don't think it's the right approach. I really don't. I understand that these pharma companies are huge and they have a lot of power and they have a lot of leverage. But honestly, I'd rather see individuals, customers say, no, I'm not going to get Paxlovid if they're going to screw me out of it like that. Now, it's not even just because I can't afford it. It's literally just on the principle of, hey, you guys are charging way too much. And once you hit an equilibrium price where you can continue to sell it and it's affordable for people and the demand is stable enough, then guess what? Your product will fly off the shelf. But Big Pharma, they have a whole industry that's based around saving people's lives, which means they have the ability to exploit the fear of the people whose lives are affected by these terrible, terrible diseases. So it's an interesting one. Love to do a little bit more economics talk about it in the future, but that's all I got for you on these two today. Hopefully RFK Jr. can come in and you know, fix this uh, big pharma BS or at least take on them to some degree because we know that he does not like them and we know that some of the legal challenges will probably be coming from uh, different law groups that work with big pharma and uh, they have a close relationship, let's put it that way. All right, so let's jump to our daily delight. This one comes from HITC. Adorable baby donkey relaxing in hammock will make your heart smile. I mean, everybody loves little donkeys, you know, the little burrs, the people that get those good photos of them mid-burr. And then who doesn't love a nice hammock on a chill summer day? Well, there is a new video going, or actually it's a little bit of an older one, but it's going around again of a donkey chilling in a hammock. Quote, there are plenty of videos on social media of adorable animals that will bring a smile to your face instantly. We have shown you a funny dog talking about bacon, another talented singing cat with vocals that sound trained that sound trained and better than its human. Today, it's a baby donkey showing us how to relax. And trust me, this baby donkey definitely knows how to relax, no doubt about it. Quote, there's nothing extravagant about the viral video, and it doesn't come with additional background music or make it any more captivating. But as you'll see, you'll have a happy-looking baby donkey swinging in the hammock while carrying an expression that looks like a smile. And you know what? I hope this story leaves you smiling as well. If you want to check out any of these 
uh, articles, and including that cute one, and any of the photos or video co- videos from that one, there's a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, as well as Podvine. And with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die. <laughs>